Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Feminism Ruins Everything. Today we're doing something a little bit different. What? So I'm not going to do the usual intro. I'm so aghast. I know, it's wild. Uh, but before we get into the new and fun thing we're going to do t- today, uh, we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. Us. Us. We, we are sponsoring our own show. <laughs> so we are once again doing some live shows. Uh, the Adelaide Fringe is Woo! coming up next year. Hell yeah. We're going to be doing three different live podcasts at the Holden Street Theatres. Yes. Uh, we're going to be looking at Les Miserables. Did I say that you right? Were, you were doing so well. And then, and then, and then you then overcompensated. Just... <laughs> Um, we're also going to be doing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Hell yeah. And we're going to be looking at Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. We are indeed. Uh, uh, it's going to be really fun. Keep an eye on our socials to find out more info about which um, show we're going to be doing which episode on. But it's throughout February and March next year in Adelaide. Um, Holden Street Theatres are lovely. And uh, it's a really nice space. It's going to be awesome. We've kept ticket prices really cheap so that it is accessible mm-hmm. financially. Um, it's going to be a fun time. I'm super excited. Feminism Ruins Everything Bingo is going to come back. Yes, and I am once back. again in charge of the prizes, and I already have ideas, and it's going to be great. Oh, damn. I'm so excited. And keep that excitement going, because each episode we are going to have special guests mm-hmm. joining us there. live. We can't announce yet. Like There's this like shroud of like really cool secrecy around it, but... The guests are real cool. You're going to be really excited to hear from them. See them in the flesh if you attend. So yeah, that is going to be really cool. Um, tickets are already on sale. If you're like, I don't care which one I attend. I just want to go and see some live podcasting. Mm. Hell yeah. Jump onto the Adelaide Fringe website. Uh, but we'll have some more info in the coming weeks about which show we're doing on which date and who our special guests are. It's going to be so great. keep an eye out. Anyway, today's episode came about entirely by... Chance. Happy accident. Happenstance. In, in the words of Bob Ross. <laughs> Beautiful happy accident. Beautiful oh, happy Bob accident. Uh, so, we planned this year to release what I've been calling the Disney Princess Retrospective. Oh, I like that. I've been calling it an extravaganza. Uh, it could be a retrospective extravaganza. Great. That's uh, the title of the episode. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and, and we wanted to look at all the different Disney princesses and how the model of Disney princesses kind of changed over the years. And as part of that, we reached out to the wonderful Jennifer Trio, who uh, appeared in a production called Disenchanted, which parodied all the Disney mm. princesses. And in which she played like multiple Disney princesses. Mm-hmm. So she was a very appropriate guest for our Disney princess Retroactive extravaganza. Retrospective. Retrospective, sorry. (laughs) Um, So we got talking to Jen. She is awesome. She's this incredible, multi-talented artist, producer, creator. She has her fingers in so many pies. And she is not only an incredible artist, but a lovely human being. Yeah. And we chatted momentarily about Disney princesses and then got into this like really deep and philosophical discussion about art and creating and creativity and working in the arts and holy heck it was so good that we were like i don't care about the disney princesses (laughs) i just want to i just want to have more deep chats with jen trio and i want people um in who are in our listenership to to hear this great conversation that we had so So we're publishing the whole episode exactly the whole conversation we just just released the conversation as a standalone thing we really enjoyed having it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. And then uh, over to, to Jen. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer Trio. Thank you, Mim, Ellis. It's <laughs> wonderful to be here on your very successful podcast. Congratulations oh. on everything you've achieved. Stop it, you. Thank you so much for being here. We're really excited to chat to you. Likewise. So how have you been in lockdown? <laughs> oh, well, we started a podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's certainly been a good way to keep busy, that's for sure. 
Um, how about you? How have you been keeping yourself busy? Um, I think it's actually been, I'm an introvert. Uh, mm. And so it's been really good for me uh, to just take some time out to reflect and read and play some piano and do some things away from the busyness of life. And uh, I don't disregard how difficult this time is for everybody, um, and especially for all our calendars. I mean, I had mm. the next two years booked out solidly. Um, but, I, I, you know, rather than focus on that part of things, I think I've started to embrace uh, the, the blessings that have come out of this and speaking mm. to so many of my peers in both the arts and any, any, every other industry, people have been able to pause and reflect a lot in this time and, and that's been a gift in itself. So mm. it's been okay, all things considered. That's good. Wonderful. And um, I suppose before we get into um, the, the Disney side of things, um, you have a really uh, interesting perspective as somebody who is um, an arts commentator and somebody who does a lot of artistic journalism. Would you like to speak to that briefly? Well, I like to write, just like a lot of creative people, like to document things mainly so that I can declutter my brain because there's <laughs> a lot of noise in there. Yeah, mm -hmm. very relatable. And that's, that became a blog. That became a blog back in 2017. And it was a blog that was on my website, uh, jennifer3r.com. And eventually, over time, through my work and through wonderful people we meet when we network and create, I just started finding that people's stories fascinated me. And just in general, day-to-day -day conversation, those stories were, I discovered they weren't as widely known as some of the big names in the industry, for example. And a lot of my creative friends were doing incredible things that just weren't being talked about in the mainstream. And I thought um, there could be something here. People need to read about this. And, and especially people who are emerging and independent and don't know where to start. Mm. And so that evolved and became the Serenade Files, which is my online publication. And it's the vision behind it is to, to give people some educational resources about the creative industries mm -hmm. and not just the, the performing arts, but also just creativity in general. I often write about big thought leaders in creativity. And in particular, I published a piece today about uh, the great Sir Ken Robinson, who you probably have heard of at some point mm. in, your, in your reading, um, or at least his name is, is quite well known. He, he was a big proponent of divergent thinking and education and creativity. And um, throughout my career as a teacher and creative practitioner, his words have really inspired me. And so I thought that the platform was both a space for emerging writers. So I commission culturally diverse writers as well. I wanted the voices that don't usually get heard in Australian media to, mm -hmm. to have a platform. Um, it's completely self-funded, <laughs> um, except for some of my wonderful, generous patrons who, who come on board and, and help uh, pay for writers and illustrators who have um, various aesthetics. So there's a lot of viewpoints on there that are beginning to take up the site and it, it formed a life of its own. So recently it's got its own domain now and it's mm -hmm. at the serenadefiles.com. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's my history as an arts commentator. Previously, um, I wrote for aussietheatre.com as well, which mm -hmm. I believe I featured both of you on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, you, you did. You, you wrote about edges, didn't you? <laughs> I did. How, how serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> So we were doing, you know, so I was writing about uh, you both before we even met. And that's how I find the industry um, in Australia works is that you, you research and you write about all these incredible people. And then it just, you put that energy out into the universe and it manifests and then you create work together and collaborate. Yeah. And yeah. it's just this wonderful community. So that's what I'm trying to inspire in the Serenade Files is that um, it's not the, the linear career path is it what we do mm. it's it's just having conversations and then collaborating and then creating from that and that's yeah. that's what it's becoming which i'm happy about yeah that's wonderful definitely now uh, 
One of the, the, the many reasons that we got you on today is that you were part of the Australian tour for Disenchanted. And we're just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the show and what your experience with that was like. Yes, uh, the Australian premiere of Disenchanted was both, it was, it was a gift to be able to go back on stage because following your previous question, I took a sabbatical from my full-time teaching career in 2018 and decided to audition for theatre again. Mm -hmm. And as the universe goes, um, got the gig. And one of the best parts of the show was to be able to live in sunny Noosa <laughs> during winter in 2018. Yeah, lovely. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> if you haven't been to Noosa, <laughs> it's a beautiful part of Australia. I mean, I love South Australia. I'm all for the wonderful things we've got in South Australia. But Noosa, um, between shows and rehearsals, I was able to just pack my DSLR camera into my backpack and just walk through National Park climb Mount Tinbiwa and just take some photos for the Serenade Files in the blog and and just unwind and reflect and just mm. take in the natural surroundings. So that was one of my favourite parts of just travelling on that tour and working with some really talented uh, up-and-coming theatre performers, mm. one of whom was um, is um, Ellie Noonan, who's now on the tour of Cats, one of the only working Australian performers yeah. in live theatre at the moment in South Korea. And so, yeah, I recently interviewed her before she tried to, to leave Melbourne, which was a wonderful experience in itself, um, <laughs> lockdown, quarantine, and all that, just to get her flight to South Korea. So she played Snow White for um, our tour. Yeah, if you don't know about Disenchanted, uh, it's kind of the adult version of <laughs> fairy tale princesses, adult feminist version, which kind yes. of suits the theme for your podcast, doesn't it? Big fan. <laughs> And um, it was written. <laughs> it was written by uh, Dennis Giacchino and Feely Matias, and the first reading was in 2009. So they've recently celebrated their 10-year anniversary, which is awesome wow. for for an independent. Uh, started with independent theatre mm -hmm. and then became an NYC off-Broadway hit. Mm. And so Dennis is writing, he's, he's working on his second musical at the moment, and I'm sure that he's got lots of inspiration in lockdown somewhere in NYC. Um, but the story is that Snow White and has rallied together all the princesses. So there's 10 princesses in this cabaret style one act performance. And she is challenging the, the narrative of happily ever after. Mm -hmm. So. It's, it's quite satirical, the whole time it's satirical and it takes a dig at all the tropes and conventions that you often see in particularly Disney uh, portrayals of, of the classic fairy tales. Yeah. And so throughout the show, uh, there's, there's six actresses in this, it's an ensemble work, six actresses play 10 characters. Uh, Two of the actresses play three characters, and I, I had that fun job. Of <laughs> lots of fast, quick changes. Love mm -hmm. that. Lots of quick changes. <laughs> there was even one quick change halfway through the end of a song where I had to go on as Mulan and then come on as Princess Badrubador for the next song. And it, I was literally walking across the stage for one um, moment and then had to change back. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I would probably revise that part if I had a chance to future <laughs> Yeah. Um, but so the characters, you meet uh, a very exuberant Cinderella, uh, narcoleptic sleeping beauty, mm -hmm. which is a great spin on, she just can't stay awake through the whole thing. Um, you've got a strong independent Mulan. Mm -hmm. Love that. Who, um, <laughs> Spoiler alert, she's queer and infatuated with Cinderella and actually just comes out in her opening number, um, which is without the guy. So, so that was a really good first impression on the audience. That was a first for me. And then following that, we have uh, Pocahontas, who's just mad at her portrayal in history, the way that she's portrayed. Yep, um, understandable. Princess Bajor, yeah. 
Princess Jorbador, who popular culture probably knows more as Princess Jasmine because of the Aladdin movie. Mm-hmm. And even it's re, uh, reiteration recently um, for the Aladdin movie. But Bajorbador actually means full moon in Arabic, which is a common oh. term for female beauty. And they use it in a lot of Arabic literature. And it was from what, like 1001 Nights. Um, so mm-hmm. the Arabian, yeah, Arabian Nights tales. And we've got... <laughs> the other actress who pr- plays the three characters of uh, Insane Belle, who speaks to all the household appliances and starts going a bit cuckoo. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the Little Mermaid, who can't walk on her legs. She just can't. <laughs> Two legs is her song. Mm-hmm. And finally, she plays Fräulein Fräulein Rapunzel, who's mad at all the merchandise that she doesn't get any cuts or proceeds from. <laughs> so it's called not, not one red cent is what she <laughs> complains about. And that's the song that Mulan just walks across the stage and just gives her an arc and then has to do a really fast, quick change. <laughs> and finally is um, a groovy gospel number sung by the princess and the frog. And mm. um, it was, it's a satire about the, finally the princess that's, that's gone black in Disney fairy tales. So it's the first black princess in, mm. um, in the Disney portrayals. So uh, the princess and the frog was, it was a big gospel number where, where all the princesses come together on stage. And it's, it's a bit of a Aretha Franklin meets Tina Turner moment in the oh, show. Oh, nice. And, and it was Damn. very good. <laughs> so Asabi Goodman, Asabi Goodman's a really great um, bluesy jazz singer up in uh, Queensland, and she played that role mm. uh, very well, might I add. And so that's the, ov- the synopsis. So they're basically challenging uh, those those portrayals and uh, the stereotypes of princesses. But there's some great songs in it, like "All I Want to Do Is Eat," which is probably one of the <laughs> the funniest ones very mm-hmm. relatable and it's, it's kind of it's <laughs> relatable it sounds like a backstreet boys do you know who the backstreet boys are yeah yes. oh yeah, yeah yeah of course yeah 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 so do you remember that i want it that way yeah mm-hmm. um, backstreet boys song it's kind of sounds like that but it's called all i want to do is eat and so the <laughs> opening number is uh, the opening lines are um i run t- i run ten, 10 miles a day i've never tasted a milky way I had some ribs removed last week and <laughs> I skip every breakfast buffet. So it's it's just taking mm. a dig at the whole, you know, Disney mm. princess. The very stereotypical long slender yeah. princess body type. Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's in a nutshell. That was as nutshell as I could manage. Um, <laughs> just so that people who don't know the show get get an overview of it it was it was a lot mm. of fun to play and and yeah i'd do it again absolutely do it again it sounds like a lot of fun it sounds like it, it's really taking stab at a lot of the tropes and conventions that mm. disney have kind of propagated over the years yeah it sounds sounds really cool and it also sounds like the show is really actively trying to correct some of the um the poor representation with regards to like you know queer representation just doesn't exist in disney and like the fact that no. like the way that Pocahontas is portrayed um, is very mm. ugh, colonial. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really cool to have uh, works like this that kind of fight back against some of that representation. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there was a really good uh, article in Smithsonian Mag that uh, historian Camilla Townsend addressed some of the Powhatan history of uh, Pocahontas because she, in the Disney creative license version, mm. was a romantic lead, you know, mm. a beautiful 18-year-old-ish something, whereas in history she was very young um, and and a lot of that history wasn't portrayed, you know, that the, mm. the fact that she... Um, was that bridge between two cultures and ended up being baptized into Christianity, taking on the name Rebecca, marrying John Rolfe and just traveling between Virginia and England and and being that bridge between um, Native American culture. And a lot Mm. of that is glossed over just so that they could have the fairy tale narrative essentially, Mm. Um, which 
which tells you the purpose of of that art form, I guess, you know, just, just to sell people a certain romantic story mm. or, or whatever it is. Um, I think it oversimplifies somewhat of a historical figure and and then a lot of people look at that and they think that that's the way the story went and mm. don't really question it further. Yeah, absolutely. So I, mean, I can imagine. I can imagine if that was done to, say, an Indigenous Australian, um, and and romanticising you know, someone from from Australian history and, and how that would go mm. down in our culture. It'd be interesting to see whether Disney took on, say, an Australian historical figure, yeah, and and how that would be portrayed nowadays. Because that hasn't happened yet. I mean, they've they've done, um, they've done Polynesian with Moana, which yeah. was good to see, <laughs> um, and and they've kind of improved in that happily ever after narrative with Frozen, because Definitely. the the sisterhood that that sisterhood twist that was refreshing, wasn't it? To say yeah. true love was was Elsa and Anna, their love as siblings, which was very. That was a really good twist. I really liked it. <laughs> just remember being <laughs> in the theatre watching it going, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Good device. Yeah, it, it does seem like um, the like across the Disney canon, we are seeing improvements in this like happily ever after trope. The, you know, your romantic relationships are the one true love in your life. Um, and it's nice to see that being expanded and kind of improved mm. upon. To, to the point where in Moana, there isn't even a romantic subplot at all. Yeah. It's, it's all about her yeah. individual growth. Yeah, which is nice. I mean, as, as a parent now, you, you, want, you, you started thinking about what kind of stories you want your child to read and what kind of influences, cultural influences you want you to expose your children to. And I've thought about this a lot as well as a teacher throughout my career. What is there that's modeling to our students to our kids and because we're all products of our environment aren't we I mean whether mm. it's entertainment that we're passively consuming or whether it's something that we're studying um, and overtly trying to take in mm. we just absorb and yeah, um, you know yeah so it's it's, it's proven that we um, parent uh, students children they take on behaviors of, of their role models and, and the adults in their life you know mm. they copy we copy Students, yeah. children. So I think about what kind of stories are out there now. What stories are we telling our kids? And that's definitely like almost one of the reasons that we started a podcast to comment on like the feminist merits of the the media that we mm. consume. Because if you're not if you're not actively yeah. critically thinking about what you're consuming, then you're just going to accept and internalize the messages that the media are portraying to you. Mm. Absolutely. 100%. And I think that in my time in schools and just working in studio, critical thinking is something that I think is underrated. Um, and, you know, going back to Ken Robinson today, um, writing about him, just the ability to think divergently, the ability to think laterally, like Edward de Bono and all those proponents of alternate viewpoints, people who don't challenge the information presented to them are always going to fall into the trap of believing something or conforming to something that they may not necessarily agree with. So I mm. think it's always important to, to look at an alternate viewpoint. You don't necessarily have to agree with it. I mean, it's, it's even, it's great to have that discourse where we can just talk and disagree and there's no violence or there's no aggression that comes of that. I think that that's the kind of society I would particularly like to live in. You know, it goes back to those really, uh, thought-provoking tutorials that you would have at university where everyone could just you know verbally lash it out and then they yeah. go and have a drink at the pub <laughs> 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 yeah you know, we were just um one of my favorite courses at university was uh politics power and principle and we would read about you know we would read about all writers um a lot of people that had opposing views on the world and and politics and how um I guess that social contract is shaped and that plays into our culture and our literature that inevitably lives in, in everything that we read and that we watch. You see it playing out in American politics at the moment. Mm -hmm. And 
a lot of the time it's you know it depends on the education system it always goes back to how we're raised and what we're consuming as far as media goes and you know in both our positions we have that fortune you know i'm so so proud of you both to be able to create something from scratch and add your creative voice to that so that you can influence a generation um you know, you're coming from a good place where you you can basically pick and choose the things that you will think you think are going to enrich the culture of the future because it's it's missing. Like you see a gap in 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 the society at the moment of what people are consuming, and and you address that gap, and and that's basically what people like Robinson talk about. They say, you know, how can we actually solve the problems of the future using our creativity, mm. and going back to the arts, like we always talk about the arts and, and, and how challenging it is to be an artist, particularly in lockdown. Um, I think that half the battle is that as artists, we're always relegated to this, this label. General society doesn't understand why artists do what they do or mm. I mean, what motivates them. But, but the thing is that everyone has that creativity inside them. So if we stop segregating between people's job titles or their industries, we would see that we have a lot more in common and that we could actually shape the societies of the future collaboratively a lot more effectively than just relegating people to different industries. Like you're just, you're a law person, you're an economics person, you're a, you're a business person, you're an education person, you're an arts person, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot more we have in common and there's so many more transferable skills across all mm. of those industries. I mean, as someone that's worked in pretty much all of them, <laughs> <laughs> I, I transfer myself all the time between them. And I think that we're on, we're on the verge of something exciting here with, with everyone realizing, going back to our, the start of our conversation, everyone realizing the power of, of reaching millions with your voice digitally mm. or just through that globalization movement online, um, how we can connect now it's unheard of um, in previous generations. And what mm. we do with that power is ultimately our, our responsibility, you know, how we use it and how we use it to shape the thoughts and influence future generations. That's the creative power we have as not only artists, but just as human beings. And so if we stop labeling ourselves, I mean, Eckhart Tolle talks about this all the time. We stop, uh, he talks about it in A New Earth. And if we stop just focusing on our labels and how people see us, we can actually just, you know, reach deeper within and actually focus on uh, telling the stories that need to be told and influencing people from from very pure stance, mm. rather than for economic viability or for for any other ca- uh, purpose politically. If we could actually just harness that creative power we would be able to connect so much more authentically with one another without labels. And that, that would be an amazing time to be alive. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that perspective. Do you think that in this time of the, the global pandemic where a lot, a lot of people are kind of inside, they're probably consuming more art than they would normally, because what else are you going to do when you're locked indoors? Do you think that, this is an opportunity for people to develop an appreciation for uh, art in a way that they wouldn't have had before? Like, do you think that people are going to come out of this pandemic with an understanding about the importance of art that they didn't have before the pandemic? It's a great question. I mean, you see it in conversations online um, and you see it through people, or you hear it through people that you speak to, that people have had time to reflect and people are uh, watching lots of Netflix, reading lots <laughs> of books, scrolling mm. through their feed, reading articles. You know, people that had the TLDR mentality and for anyone who doesn't know internet, internet slang, it's too long, didn't read. Mm. Um, now are reading through the whole 1000 word article because they've got mm. time. Um, to your question, I think that I hope that we have more appreciation coming out of this. It's very easy to take for granted once everything gets back to its busyness and its frantic pace. Mm. But I guess what I hope comes out of this is not just an appreciation for arts, but appreciation for 
human ingenuity on a greater level. Because once again, going back to that labels perspective, is if we continue to segregate ourselves as artists away from the rest of society, then how are we ever going to bridge what we value, our work, our worldviews with the rest of the world? So I think that a, a deeper appreciation for our abilities to be creative human beings and to be just part of humanity on the whole uh, and introspection and taking time for self-care and pausing is what I hope we come out of this pandemic with. And I think it's already starting to happen. Like you see, I mean, I've interviewed people that have um, been on contract after contract after contract, frantic pace, um, so many things they're juggling in their mind with their careers and their families. And then they suddenly had this spark of, oh, I'm going to build a business or I'm going to create a product. I mean, mm. um, there's a company in Sydney called Stage Kings and they've done a brilliant job of pivoting in this um, in this pandemic. So they used to do a lot of sets and props for the big theatre shows. Mm. And because theatre <laughs> cannot happen mm. for the time being, at least, at least on a large commercial scale, um, Stage Kings have pivoted and they've used their creativity and thought, where is the demand in the market? And this is where I think it's not just arts people. It's not just people that work in the arts. It's anyone who has that creative capacity, which I believe everyone does. Mm -hmm. And they, they thought, we're going to create flat pack furniture. And they've done such a good job. Like Google Stage Kings Australia. And you, you can see um, even Better Homes and Gardens covered this story. I just thought it was <laughs> so inspiring. Yeah. To see uh, someone finally take on IKEA. <laughs> and, and they've come from the theatre industry too, you know. Mm. So I I love, and also another, another example, which I have published, is uh, Deborah Krizak, who's um, a wonderful theatre performer. She played Sheila in the recent Chorus Line tour. Mm -hmm. okay. She started a really good candle business. It's a cool candle business. Oh, and I have one of her candles that I'm going to show you now because I think it just captures the vibe yes, of this whole Please do. Yeah. So, she has, <laughs> she has these candles. Oh, that's amazing. For our listeners, um, the candle says F-U COVID-19, <laughs> which is a real, real yeah. vibe. Yeah. <laughs> the mood of the time. It's so inspiring to just work in the studio. <laughs> yeah. And um, the beautiful... The beautiful thing about Deb is that um, she's addressing, I guess, the, the society at the time. She, she's she's titles that speak... Um, what you know, speak your mind if you like. And so when I was interview interviewing Deborah, she she created these candles. She was just baking them, baking them, cooking them. However, you make yeah. candles in her kitchen. <laughs> she Sauteing. was making them in her kitchen with with yeah with her family. And the most recent post I remember seeing through my feed was that she was contemplating what she was going to do when this pandemic hit because her contract stopped. And then next thing she knows, she gets she gets this order for two hundred candles for her business, and now she's oh, con contemplating taking on an employee. And this goes back to my point that we all have the capacity to be creative and and divergent in our mm -hmm. thinking and, and think of multiple possibilities. And it's how we overcome adversity that I think is going to be the most valuable outcome from this pandemic. I mean this. This is adversity. 2020 is the poster child for <laughs> adversity, yeah. if ever there were a year. And so how we come out of this is, is really up to us. It's up to our mindset. And I think that creative people in general, I'm not just going to say arts people, I'm just say people who have creative capacities or mindsets generally see possibilities that those who are more analytical mm -hmm. or narrow-minded in and I don't mean that in, a, in an offensive way I just mean people who are set in their ways mm -hmm. don't generally explore alternate possibilities as openly as someone with a creative mind and and Robinson talks about this um, deteriorating as you go through education he talks about children who are in preschool age being more divergent in their thinking seeing more possibilities and then by the time they're tested they did a longitudinal study um, mm. they tested when they're 17 18 that diminishes mm. it's ironic yeah so i don't know if i answered your question <laughs> i just, kind of just went on a, yeah. a I, tangent I, um i really like the perspective of you know 
you don't need to be somebody who works in the arts to be a creative person to have mm. the capacity for creative thinking i yeah i think that that's something that i need to keep aware of <laughs> ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think that um, something that I've become acutely aware of during this time is also the fact that everyone needs the arts in some way or another like we all need access to the creativity and the art of others but it's just um finding a way to make that accessible in the circumstances that is the thing so i suppose yeah that that pivot is so important finding a way to get your art to people when the way that you normally do that isn't isn't available yeah but because you can find alternative ways you will find one. Mm. It's not all just the internet. And um, I really think that we will solve this as human beings in ways that we don't even understand yet. I remember having, um, when I taught year 10 personal learning plan, there's this subject yeah. in place, personal learning plan. You may remember it. I A lot of my learning. students, <laughs> <laughs> good memories. <laughs> A lot of my students, did this they did this test um, and they were psychological kind of career-based tests mm-hmm. that determined where which careers their personality or their abilities would best suit and you know schools love testing they just love testing right mm. and so students would come out of there and I think my my biggest memory of being a teacher in a school setting our parents talking to you a parent teacher night or just talking to you in conversation saying oh this is not going to get them a job mm-hmm. or yeah so there was a lot of focus on the job and the linearity of education being a means to an end only for a job yeah mm. absolutely and so i think that really is what made me go want to go on my sabbatical in 2018 yeah. <laughs> and it was it was the best thing that I did for myself because I was able to, in the same way that 2020 allows you to unplug from the matrix, if you like, mm. I was able to question why I studied education in the first place. And and it, went, it took me back to, to those texts and those initial thought leaders and, and those tutorials back at uni where we would debate these bigger ideas about what education's purpose was. Mm. And, you know, and what's, what is art's purpose? other than to not just to have an economic viability. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about that he challenges us to think that art in itself should be a means in itself, not just the outcome it produces monetarily. And I know mm. that it's, it's practical to think of that. You know, we have to survive in, in a world like the capitalist world that we have today. We have to be able to pay our bills. And this is the argument right? There's the argument that this doesn't get you a job. Mm. But what if, what if we put our creativity and our education and all of our life experiences together and we created a way to reach audiences and engage with our audiences in a way where they would find meaning in what we do in that exchange and as a result would support our work both mm-hmm. exchanging financially, you know, 
It's not salesy, it's meaningful, it enriches both parties, it's educational, it enriches both parties, mm. and we create new industries without calling, that, calling it that, without saying, mm. I'm going to create a new industry. It's, it's actually, it's, it's that entrepreneurial mindset that we're challenged to do. And the biggest thought, there's a huge body of work on this where people challenge creatives to think entrepreneurially. And I guess that's part of my quest with the Serenic Files is to try and get creative people to see themselves as entrepreneurs. Because mm, ultimately, yeah. wow, you, you don't need a form, <laughs> I say, you don't actually need a formal education no. to be successful in this life. Mm. And what is successful to you? That only you can tell yourself what successful is to you. <laughs> um, you've got to stop measuring yourself against Mm. Uh, comparisonitis is what it's called. Um, oh, I think that was yeah. a really great coach. <laughs> I like that term. Ruby Lee is a coach that, yeah, Ruby Lee coined that term. I'm not going to take credit for it. Uh, she's <laughs> a coach online. And um, yeah, look, there are, there are so many ways that we can live this life and enrich ourselves and others and have and make a living out of it, sustain mm. our livelihood. Mm. Um, and it doesn't involve getting a job um i don't mean that to in a way that um i don't mean to criticize anyone who wants to take that path by mm. all means if you want to be an employee for someone else and that works for you and that's fulfilling that's also honorable that's mm. honorable work but i hear the argument again from artists especially that there is no work that i'm not going to study music um, because it's not going to get me a job or, you know, well then, but you're a creative. Why don't you just create those opportunities? Yeah. Mm. That's and my philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. a great philosophy, man. And you're doing it. You're both living it, you know, mm. and this is testament to you. And, and look what happens when you just take that risk, take mm. that step. It, um, Barry Green calls it permission to fail, right? Mm. It's a really great mentality where you just go, I don't know what I'm capable of. I'm just going to try this and let's see where it goes. Yeah. Mm. And wow, you know, some, some, sometimes great things happen. Yeah. Um, that's kind of how I went on tour with Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> I answered a text message the day before auditions from my friend. And I didn't have an agent at the time. And he said to me, because I just finished doing a show with him. And he said, oh, they've got auditions for Miss Saigon tomorrow. And I said, oh, which amateur theatre company got the rights to that? And he said, oh, Cameron Macintosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that small amateur company. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I gave that a go. I had nothing to lose, gave it a go. Mm. And so it's really that, that mentality of just giving stuff a go and yeah. not being afraid to fail. Because when you fail, it's how you get up that counts, right? in the face of adversity, in the face of 2020, in the face of whatever, in the face of competition, because there's lots of it, you will find your market. There are people that need to hear what you have to say. There are obviously people that need to hear what you both have to say, because you're, you know, you've got a fan base, it's wonderful. And people beyond my wildest dreams, people actually read my writing. You know, I didn't realize <laughs> yeah. that all the stuff that I wanted to get out of head actually mattered to someone else. Yeah. You don't know this unless you actually put it out there. Mm -hmm. And the tragedy is that some people don't. The tragedy is that some people uh, are so fearful that they're not going to be accepted if they put themselves out there because they have some kind of um, unrealistic metric in their head or whatever that is that's blocking them from even starting in the first place. And just, mm. just start is really all I have to say about that. Just give it a go. <laughs> Who knows? Let it fly. I, <laughs> Let it be. Yeah. I think that's one of the one of the wonderful things about the invention of the internet is that people finally had a space to voice their thoughts and realize that they weren't the only people to have those thoughts or those feelings. And I think that the internet has become a safe haven for a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, marginalized groups who maybe don't have um, similar experiences in their physical community, but on the online community, they're able to find thousands, millions of people who feel very similar things and can help them get through those feelings and find out, discover, you know, who they really are. And I, I think that's, that's just a wonderful thing 
to have come from <laughs> modern society. You hit the nail on the head. But you know what? It's always been there. Our ability to communicate with one another. Mm. Um, it's just now been globalized. Um, yeah. The other side to that, the other side to that is then you've got this, a lot of noise that comes through, don't you? And you've got to try and find the voices that most resonate with you yeah. mm. um, because there are so many people competing for attention on online where you kind of only have so much energy. And I, as an introvert, I, I feel exhausted emotionally when I feel like I have to spread myself too thin and just give myself to my attention to, to so many different people and communities and groups. So. I've learned to choose my circle um, mm. and very much invest a lot in in those people that are the closest to me. I mean, I always make time for someone who wants help or assistance because that's just, it's paying it forward. You know, people did that for me growing up and um, I'm better for it. Thank you for my mentors yeah. um, who gave me just those little pearls of wisdom mm. that now you can give back, you know. Um, but I I find that if you aren't at your peak because you're trying to say yes to so many, too many people, you end up paying for that and, and learning, to, learning to just strip back the layers somewhat and, and be able to invest only in the people that are close to you and, and the people that need you the most. And particularly mm. um, as I've become a parent now, like my husband and my daughter, I have so much more time for. Um, I never told you that after my sabbatical, I never went back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I've, just, yeah. I've, been, I've been freelance ever since. And so that professional gap year told me that I needed to work for myself and create mm -hmm. my own opportunities. And now I can be with my family a bit more, which means that I have to hustle even harder for my, for my work and my creativity, um, which, is, which is a great driver. It's a really good driver because then yeah. you're your own agency. I mean, I believe in the individual. I believe in someone being completely accountable for everything that they put out in the world and that no one else is to blame if you don't succeed. If you don't succeed, you just haven't looked hard enough for the mm. door that's supposed to be the one you walk through. Because as you both know, in this industry, you can stand in front of hundreds of panels. Some will say yes, yeah. some will mm -hmm. say no. <laughs> and and that's just part of that's part of the gig. You can't beat yourself up for that. Where there's an opportunity, you go and you knock on that door. And if, if that's not for you, I tell you what, there's been so many opportunities where I've been in an audition room where I didn't get that gig, but that same panel remembered um, my performance because I always treat my auditions like a performance mm. and they cast me for something else. They called yeah. me up and said, do you want to do this? And so it matters every single time you network or have a conversation with someone, just be authentic, be genuine. Yeah. Don't look at them as an opportunity to get to the next mm -hmm. stage of your career. Treat them like a human being. Yeah. They will remember that. And they, if you're at the forefront of their minds, they're going to refer you on. And those, that's how you start building that community around you that you invest in and then it grows from there. You just got to keep giving back. You know, I don't yeah. just keep taking. A lot of people yeah. keep taking, but yeah. I heard I just something. Got off another <laughs> <laughs> I love the tangents. Um, I, I heard something a little while ago. Somebody said something to the effect of you can't, um, you can't make connections forward. You can only draw the lengths backwards. So you can't like 10 years down the track go, Oh, I got this thing because this happened and this happened and ha this happened. You can't predict that's going to happen. You just have to plant lots of seeds and see what grows. And then you can make the connections backwards, but you never know what's going to come from something. So just mm. putting that energy and um, putting your best self out there is always going to, lead to something but you don't know what it is yeah that's very insightful yeah so it's basically just retrospect isn't it that yeah. we only know in hindsight yeah but yeah look i think that what you've said is really valid that you've just got to keep putting good energy out into the world and and not for personal gain but just because mm. the world needs it god we've gone through yeah. quite a year haven't we yeah and yeah it's just better to be part of a society where people genuinely care about one another other that you're seeing um, people as competitors or you know in a business sense or in an artistic sense I mean even when you walk into look on a side I tell my clients this in the studio all the time because they're always either preparing for auditions or a show or trying to get somewhere 
You know, if you stop looking at your peers as competition and you actually mm. start treating them like professionals, your colleagues, your, you know, not people that are worse or better than you, you mm. see them as part of your community, mm-hmm. then you're not looking at them in a negative way. You're focusing on what you need to do to grow and you're seeing it, your contribution to a bigger idea, to something that will benefit and enrich everyone. Like if, if the, the art is in you or there is no room for ego. There's no room for that to actually take place. And then, then you get rid of all the yucky stuff like envy or, you know, body image or measuring yourself up to unrealistic standards yeah. Yeah. that just get in the way of creativity. They completely get in the way of our human ingenuity. So when you go in with that mindset, you can just go into a room and worry about the work because the work is always more important than you. And um, the other day, oh, I didn't sign an NDA, so I guess I can talk about this. I went into an audition <laughs> room last Monday and it was, <laughs> you can decide to edit this out. <laughs> anyway, I went, I went into an audition room last Monday. It was so good to be in an audition room. I tell mm. you what. In a, and, and, um, and I just, you know, I worked, I, I poured over the text, the monologues, memorized them because I just miss a, and I work and then going in front of a panel and just being able to workshop with a director mm. and just treating that, treating that like a rehearsal was just refreshing. And we were just, I didn't feel nervous at all. I just felt like I really missed this, this exchange. Yeah. Mm. And and I think it went well because of that. You know, when we take those elements out of, we take those elements and those layers, those things in our mind that just clog up the system of creativity. Mm. We're free to just express ourselves. Mm. And, and yeah, and I think I, I'm guilty of that. I'm saying this just, you know, because I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of self-censoring before I publish something thinking oh is this going to even resonate with anybody why should I Mm. put it out there why should I write this song why should I record this and not care but hang on is that the reason for it like if whether Mm. someone cares or not why not just get it out there why not just get it out of your head because I'm sure that you know Joni Mitchell wrote a lot of stuff that she didn't think was great but then now has influenced so many millions of people yeah Yeah. Um, so you never know, like you said, in retrospect, you never know who it's going to influence generations from now. Um, for all, you know, someone could be doing the memoir for more Ellis one day and then just yeah. dig up your old diary and read something and just say, oh, wow, that's really, you know, that's prolific. That's profound. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd be surprised. And, and, A lot of my diaries contain be, opinions about some... Glee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you want to confess that on here? <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did a rewatch last year and I had a lot of opinions. So <laughs> That's good though. I guess my point was that we self-censor so much. Mm. We self-censor because we're afraid that, you know, that we're not being PC enough or we self-censor because we, we feel like we're going to be judged for what we have to say mm. and i think that going back to ken robinson again and you know it's yeah. the week i'm going to be reading a lot of his work because bail ken robinson mm. so he said just think of all the possible solutions or ideas that could come out of a situation and that's without judgment just think of them lay them out on the table and from that then you can refine you know don't mm. we just analyze right we, we kind of just come complicating the process but creativity is just about putting all the ideas out on the table and then from that chuck the rest in the creativity compost bin that don't work you know yeah or keep it in the glee diary as everybody should have one yeah. i'm uh, i'm doing a uh, cabaret course at the moment with um amelia ryan and michael griffiths um both of whom i cherished dearly as mentors and we were talking a lot about um the writing process and about how you can't shoot down an idea when you have it like you can't come up with something and then go ah no that's shit i won't use that just put it out there because you never know it might just work (laughs) yes exactly Mm. and what yeah what perfect people to learn off you know you know i saw you last friday there how good was it to be in that room it was amazing (laughs) 
such good energy. And if you don't know, listeners, we're talking about Friday Feels at Nexus Arts. Mm. Oh, I should promote Nexus Arts before the end of this episode as well. Oh, please do. Um, Nexus, yeah, so they do wonderful things. And, and last last Friday, Mim and I bumped into each other. We're able to attend um, some of the best cabaret artists from around the world. Oh, it happens mm. to be in Adelaide. Absolutely. And... And it was just a glorious night of live music, all COVID safe, by the way. Very COVID of course. safe. Um, Amelia and Michael um, and Libby, you know, people and Mitchell, basically Victoria, all of those names just know how to write and know how to talk to an audience. And I tell you what, it's because they didn't judge themselves. They just put it out there. And I'm sure, you know, they go through the same things that we all do as creative people. Like mm. we just know think oh is this going to land but at the same time she's telling you just take the risk right mm. write it don't throw it away it could be useful mm. and yeah i mean what a, what a joy to learn yeah. from to learn from them absolutely i'm so excited yeah. to see what you create after that it's yeah it's coming together i'm <laughs> very excited about ella's got to see a sneak preak sneak preak <laughs> sneak, sneak peek. peek yesterday of uh of some of the material and it's good it's it's really good. It's classic Mimsar and Josh Belperio work. I didn't even pay him to say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Look, I love both those artists. Um, mm. So yeah. Look, I'm really really keen. And um, are you doing it in the Fringe next year? Is this what's happening? Uh, it will be on at some point next year. We're not quite sure yeah. which festival yet, but yes, definitely. I guess we have to find out which festivals Wonderful. are running. Uh, yeah, that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I'll have to send some writers over. Oh, because um, I'm a big supporter of your work. Yes, you are. Thank you so Wonderful much for that. Oh, my <laughs> pleasure. Like, you know, like I said, like, it's, it's all about creating that community and, mm. and independent voices, creative voices. Just that's, there's just so many that don't get enough mainstream attention. And mm. look, it's, it's really not just about, it's not just about making it mainstream, is it? Because to some people that might be success. What I'm trying to say is that um, you have to decide what your idea of success is to begin with before you go out there and go, oh, do I want to be, and this is why shows like The Voice are so popular or X Factor, mm. because people for some reason think that going on a show like that will be the magic bullet to set up your whole career. It'll be once I get that show, I win the prize, I'm successful. Mm. I have, I get, I win my career. And, and the reality is that that's, if anything, that's probably just a starting point because a lot of people had to work a lot harder after that point, you know, winners like Guy Sebastian, for example, mm. um, and people that we don't hear much from either that have won that previously, or, or they go in a completely different career direction. Mm. So um, young, young entertainers don't really get given that kind of insight in terms of how the industry works and they perceive that by winning a talent show that that's going to be the answer to their prayers where they don't realize that just cultivating skill in itself or creating or writing or using the platforms online you can already start building building a following and engaging with an audience mm. and and from there just start building a profile without mm. like before you even create anything uh, and and just test yeah you know, test what you have to say actually resonates with somebody yeah because a lot of the time when you get signed to record companies they they basically dictate your creative direction you know they tell mm. you how you have to dress look sound who you are allowed to record with who you have to tour with who you are and aren't allowed to associate with and I don't know that's a bit limiting creatively I think mm. um, so yeah it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. I think yeah. one thing that those shows do as well is kind of give you a very linear view of what success is. It's like success is winning a competition and getting a hit single and being famous forever. But success means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, uh, particularly to different artists. And yeah. some artists might find success in their 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 small indie production that they put on and 50 people came to see it but it meant so much to them and that's how they define their version of success yeah absolutely and i think getting that right early or having a vision of that early as an artist will set you up 
for so many things. It just gives you a lot more clarity to begin with. Um, and no one gets told that, really. Mm. You know, you, you kind of, it's a trial and error process. You, you figure that out after trying a few different things that do and don't work. And, and then you meet people that have either been there or um, you have the conversations with people that get it. And you start building your, your tribe, if you like. And, and so everyone props each other along. And, and then it finally, the light bulb moments start happening and things kind of start falling into place. But, but that takes time. I think one thing I criticize about shows like The Voice and X Factor is that they sell this idea of success and the arts and creativity that, that isn't realistic. You know, they, they kind of sell mm. you this this dream and this sheen that doesn't have sustainability behind mm. it. It doesn't show you, it shows you the prize. It doesn't show you the the tears and the rejections and yeah. all the heartache that went on in the background to getting there. And in, in many ways, that's more rewarding. And um, not, not to paint the picture of the, the struggling, tragic artist, Wagnerian kind of mentality, but it's, it's more about that you've, you've created it. You've, you've mm. bled for it. You've, you've earned it. You, you've created it from nothing, you know? And coming from a, a single mum daughter situation, coming from basically nothing, um, I feel successful already. I mean, I've still got goals, mm. but like you know, to, to have nothing, to be able to have a roof over your head and a family and to be yeah. able to work for yourself. I mean, to me, that's success, to be able to do what I love. Um, and so it depends on what you think success is. Mm. Um, it's all relative, isn't it? It's all relative. If yeah. you were given everything growing up, then you won't appreciate, you know, just having a job <laughs> or yeah. just having the ability to perform on a stage. Um, yeah. On that beautiful note, um, I think I'd like to hear from you about what you are working on and what you want to promote to our listeners. Um, oh, yes. Up. Thank are you there... for reminding me that. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to Nexus Arts at the moment, um, what I said earlier, I've been doing a lot of work with um, AD, Artistic Director Emily Tullock at Nexus Arts, and also Naomi Keat, independent uh, musician and songwriter. And these lovely ladies have been cultivating a group of uh, musicians who, whom I now can call friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're culturally and linguistically diverse artists who are creating original music and working through, working through the challenges of the industry and, and how to, you know, how to build a career as a musician and reach various audiences using the, the tools at our disposal and, and speaking and hearing from people um, in the industry that have done that. So we've been workshopping even over Zoom, but and now we've had a few in person in recent months, which has been great. And having jam sessions, just learning about instruments from all, all over the world, learning about mm. Iranian culture, Persian culture, Arabic culture. Um, just Indian Latinos, just a lot of beautiful singing and music that is coming out of this room in the same room we were in last Friday, actually, mm. for the cabaret. So it's, it's quite a lovely program. It's called Interplay. And it's about celebrating culture in Australia. And at the same time, uh, we're going to be launching a concert series starting the middle of October. Awesome. which um, I'm going to be in the, first, in the first concert myself and another very talented artist named Lenny. He's um, going to be on the same bill as I am and we're both going to be releasing some of our new music, which I'm really excited about. Amazing. And playing live, which yes. I'm really excited about. Incredible. <laughs> and I'm also going to be releasing new music on my website, jennifer3o.com which was formerly the serenade files domain but now is it's currently pointing there still as i build the site in the background but so by by mid-october there'll be new music up on that as well as uh the music video for my next single oh, called wow. someday and, and that'll also be premiering at the nexus art concert series so i'm creating some new music and creating some new art for Amazing. all you lovely people and um, 
it's just lovely to be among people who just appreciate that, you know, other musicians yeah. who understand the value of it for its own sake, not, not just for economic reasons or whatever else that we decide to value in the world, but just to create music. And yeah. you both understand the power of that. I know you do. And, and it's been really nice to get through lockdown in the company of such people. So, so that's, that's the biggest thing I want to promote. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Jennifer, you are an absolute delight. <laughs> I have gained so much from your insight and your wisdom and perspective today. Thank you so much for sharing it with us and with our listeners. I can't wait for them to hear um, the insight that you have to offer. Thank you so much, Mim. And likewise, and Ellis, thank you very much. Thanks for creating this platform for, for other voices to be heard and interviewed as well. You know, it's just a start for you both. And <laughs> it's just so exciting to see people at the start of their journey. And where you know, I, I have no doubt that you're going to be in big places in years to come. And we'll all look back on this moment and we'll go, you know what, this is that conversation we had that time where mm -hmm. we, we were talking about creativity and risks and all of that stuff. And and even what you mentioned, which you'll fact check later about <laughs> the quote. Yeah. This um, is one of those we'll seeds all that look we're back planting. On this and go, mm -hmm. Exactly. This is the seed conversation. <laughs> yeah. And we were all there in the room where it happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. yeah. Thank you so much, Jen, okay, for coming well, on and talking to us. Yeah. Thank um, you so much. I look forward to hearing the um, the podcast played back live. So yeah. <laughs> thanks for all the listeners out there. Keep supporting the Feminism Ruins Everything. It doesn't really podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and and keeping an open mind about everything. And, and know that I guess my parting message for everyone listening is that we are all creative. Mm -hmm. That's just what I want to leave you with, that I everyone like that. has the capacity for creativity. So just, just you know, have a think about that and do something cool today with it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Thank so you much, Jennifer. So Jen. See you. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Feminism ruins everything.